Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Caregivers Speak. This is Marjorie Papp-Steinmetz, and I want to welcome all of our listeners and tell you all a very happy new year. Today, it's so apt that we have as our guest a person who many of you know, who is our lead physician for this show, Dr. John Guineri. He is a past president of the medical staff at Florida Hospital, and he is currently the director and chairman of the Department of Healthcare and Spirituality at Florida Hospital. He's been our guest on so many shows, encouraging caregivers to advocate for themselves and their loved ones as they navigate the healthcare system. Today, Dr. G, as I lovingly like to call him, is with us again to discuss a critical distinction between caring for acute illness versus chronic illness. And as you all know, um, caring for one person, that one person's illness can move from acute to chronic and back again. And all of this really um, makes us all as caregivers feel sort of discombobulated, but if we allow ourselves to for some resiliency and we're able to kind of roll with the flow, as they say, then your caregiving behavior can change as the changing needs of your loved one change. So that's what we're going to talk about today, and uh, the topic is actually acute versus chronic illness, changing your caregiving style. And there will be plenty of tips and thoughts about how to do that. So, Dr. Guineri, welcome. Thank you, and it's always a pleasure being with you, Marjorie. Not only pleasure, but fun, especially as you open up the door for caregivers. Yeah. Well, it's always fun to sit next to Dr. Guineri, um, at least the two of us being live on this end, uh, because uh, we really have great fun talking about topics that are so important for all of us. So, Dr. G, as we begin, how let's talk about this acute and chronic thing. How can caregivers distinguish between acute and chronic disease? Sure, and those are two basic concepts within medicine. Uh, as far as acute is concerned, in regards to symptoms, these are symptoms that are usually sudden, serious, intense, and may very well be life-threatening as well for the patient. And then we talk about chronic, and chronic is kind of a slowly occurring and may and, and usually does worsen, but it's over an extended period of time. Okay. And... The types of diseases that, you know, as you say, start maybe chronic and then become acute, those kinds of diseases would be what on a spectrum of diseases? Well, let me start with the acute ones. Okay. Um, very well known to the public is uh, what we call myocardial infarction, which is a mm -hmm. heart attack. Yeah. And that could be rather dramatic and obviously life-threatening for many people. Other examples that are different, though, would be uh, appendicitis. Oh, yes. 
Um, and, and then uh, another one, sometimes caused by trauma, sometimes just caused by disease processes, and that is hemorrhage. Mm -hmm. And that could be from different body systems. It could be from the gastrointestinal tract as far as vomiting up blood significantly or from the rectal area, or it could be, in my specialty in gynecology, uh, hemorrhaging uh, vaginally as well, which could be a life-threatening situation. Other quick ideas of acute situations, bowel obstructions, um, even some of the blood cancers as well can present acutely. Yes, yes. My husband uh, fainted, just fainted away mm -hmm. because he was lacking hemoglobin, so I know that was acute. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. And now on the chronic side, you talk about things like arthritis, diabetes mellitus, although that sometimes could present uh, acutely, but most of the times uh, slow onset. Uh, lupus, which is an autoimmune disease, Crohn's disease, which is a gastrointestinal autoimmune disease. Uh, I would even include dementia. Yes, yes. Okay, so that's really helpful. So for the caregiver, and we, you know, trying to keep on our toes every day and recognizing how uh, a disease is moving from the chronic to the acute, would there be a sign or would there be signs that, that suggest, oh, we need to sort of start our caregiving style, if you will, or our approach to our loved one, and start uh, behaving a little bit differently with that loved one? Sure. Uh, I think what happens is that you go along, and this is the new reality with a chronic illness, Yeah. but then sometimes you could have sudden worsening of the situation, and even sometimes even severe symptoms that... Uh, will necessitate either going to the emergency room or seeing their doctor right away. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, um, in, you mentioned dementia. In the case of dementia, uh, a good friend of ours here in Orlando um, who treats Alzheimer's a lot says, you know, when you see a, something present uh, more than a couple, three times, like losing keys, like, you know, mm -hmm. certain things that that then now we're into the disease, and then as as it progresses, losing one's way, not able to know geographically where you, then you know there are those, those kind of times, so then you have to change up sure. your style. So seeing the things happen more frequently. Yes, gotcha. and then attention, more attention needs to be paid. Absolutely. Yeah, and maybe even the introduction of a caregiver into the home besides yourself, someone who can help you. Oh, yeah, especially as you and I know how most caregivers fly by the seat of their pants, and especially initially, and yes. the need of understanding what they're going through as a caregiver yes. and their needs knowing that they have limits as well. Exactly, and we've talked about that on other programs, recognizing that. Um, a, a quick example, uh, my husband did have leukemia, and it was acute at first, and then when it got under control, it was chronic for some time. And um, he was okay, so that I could go out and go to a movie, uh, generally enjoy myself without having to be attentive to him all the time. 
But then the days came when I had to be right there with him and or bring someone in to be very attentive to him uh, in terms of infusions and the kinds of things that he came to need more and more. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah Marjorie, uh, similarly, I have a cousin that passed on from leukemia as well, and it's not only a low anemic red blood cell count, but also what can happen is lowering of the white blood cells where they're more prone to serious infections. Exactly. Where you and I would fight it very easily, they cannot. And even uh, this happened to my cousin. His platelet counts were profoundly low, so just hitting his arm against a chair, he could develop a blood, what we call a hematoma, or actually start bleeding uncontrollably. Uh, terrifying things. It, yes, indeed. And, you know, I, I can't help but think that uh, paying close attention to details is perhaps one of the most important things for caregivers to use, and that that can also then signal, okay, here's how much I need to be around, here's how much I don't have to be around, you know, given the even day to day. Um, You're so right. I, I think it's such a dynamic, fluid experience that caregivers go through. And there are things that they think at that moment, but then they may be thinking about a week down the road and what's the long-term situation. Yeah, yeah. these things are the the things that can really drive caregivers mad, that, oh, I've got it figured out. Nope, I don't have it figured out. Tomorrow's another day, mm -hmm. and now it's a new day. So, well, you in your comments just now, Dr. Winery, you've mentioned things that show me again and again that you have such great empathy for caregivers. Uh, particularly as they respond to changing conditions. How did you come by this empathy? I'm, I can just imagine our listeners out there thinking, you know, I don't have a doctor that shows this much empathy for, you know, how I might feel given my loved one's um, progression of the disease or the constant back and forth and of disease. How did you come by this yeah, well, empathy? You're kind in saying that. But I think there's two basic things for me uh, that you need to, to be a part of people. And uh, the one principle is not only do you need good, real communication, but there has to be a true caring or, if you will, a love between mm -hmm. those individuals. Uh, the second important principle is I think... As a physician, as a human being, I like to approach people not only in a body sense, but as far as what they're thinking, their minds, and and even their their deep beliefs as far as their spirituality is concerned. Yeah, uh, again, really looking at the person and paying attention uh, is something you do, and I think that's what we're advocating the caregivers do as well, day to day, to just kind of get the feel for where that person is coming. Yeah, but I think there's a very important caveat or limitation that folks should really keep in mind is that they have limits as well. Yes. And you just are not limitless as a caregiver, although you care and love for that person. Uh, if you don't take care of yourself, and as we know in the elderly couples, that 50% of the caregivers start spiraling down seriously themselves. Yes. Indeed. I, the last I checked, it's like in the 60 percentiles. Mm. 
where that other person is likely to have some sort of a medical issue either during or after a caregiving experience. So, well, let's give our listeners a couple examples that we hope that they'll relate to of how caregivers' responses need to remain resilient and flexible given the situation. So um, I'll start, and um, I'm, and I'm going to talk about golf. I've got uh, a husband, uh, my uh, second husband, wonderful guy, and he had a heart uh, issue last June, and uh, he was told not to play golf for six weeks. And then the six weeks was over, and of course you might imagine he was moving out of his acute, right, to something that approaching fairly normal. He had moved through the acute and then a little bit chronic and now so he said to me at the sixth week or at the end of the sixth week, I want to go out and play golf. What do you think? And of course all kinds of things are running through my mind. Well, the doctor said six weeks he would be able to. But my apprehensions about this were certainly high. So in the end, I sort of sucked it up and said, okay, I think you need to go out and do that. Because I knew that the quality of my dear husband's life depended upon his getting back out and into the normal world. And that at the end of the seventh week or the eighth week or the ninth week, I would still probably have those apprehensions. And so he just probably needed to get out there and go for it. Yeah, I think the things that patients go through um, as they're taking the journey with the challenge of their health, that they are given that hope in the form of things that they love to do. Yeah. And... It's certainly, as you say, a balancing act at time because of the limitations that they have. And I think that's where you have a serious conversation of what are some of the absolute limits of what you can't do at this point. Oh, yes. Okay, that's a good point. Uh, but again, realizing that those limits may shift, either getting better or even worse. Yeah. Uh, so it's a rather, uh, as I mentioned, dynamic situation. Yeah. That you have to think about. So in, in my situation with the golf, uh, say, okay, do that, but don't walk the course. You sure? You know, you're going to take a cart, right? Yes, I'm going to take a cart. And so uh, to your point, don't just say, oh, yeah, just go on out there and have a great time, but perhaps put a marker down for, yeah, I think you ought to go do that to bring back your quality of life. But Please use the golf cart. <laughs> mm. yeah, exactly. Uh, I think about my cousin that also happened to be a golfer, and uh, his wife, his caregiver, was just as anxious about him going out. And he reassured her that he was only going to play a limited amount of holes, depending how he felt. He was going with his, his buddies that were really caring for him, not letting him really pick up the balls themselves because mm -hmm. they were worried about the same thing. Yeah. And uh, really limiting himself. But his wife had to temper him at times. Yeah, yeah that, that's the art of being a caregiver. So um, well, you and I have also talked about traveling. And that, mm. you know, okay, so let's say 
somebody has had an acute illness. They're now moving into a more chronic situation. But they, um, and they want to travel. They want that quality of life back. They want to fly to San Francisco or New York City or wherever. And the caregiver is like, ooh, I'm not sure you know, what happens if they can contract a cold. So that's another one that I think Absolutely. we all wrestle with. Yeah, and I'll tell you a real situation that happened to a dear co- colleague's wife who had advanced breast cancer. And she was getting chemotherapy uh, periodically. And um, concomitantly, she had uh, one of her son's uh, wife who delivered a baby, a granddaughter, and uh, this was out in L.A., and they're here in Florida. She really wanted to go. So in the present time, she couldn't, but what they did over the couple of weeks is they held off on one of the chemotherapeutic cycles so she wasn't down, so she could go and, and was able to go with that and yeah. fulfill a hope that she wanted to realize. That's a great example, sort of everybody working together, sort of negotiating. Yeah, what I, is it that yeah. and I, I think it's a team effort for the caregiver with the doctors, the nurses, uh, the folks that may be helping at home as well, friends and relatives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... Um, what tips can we provide caregivers to remain flexible? That's such a great example that you just gave. Is one of the ways to remain flexible is to work with your doctor and your loved one and come up with a solution that no one feels too apprehensive about, and yet gives the patient, you know, a better quality of life. What would be some other tips? Well, I think you really struck on one of the most important ones. This is a team sport for the caregiver. It really is. That they can't do it alone. Uh, certainly, most caregivers don't have the are not in the medical profession, so they need the insight through their doctor and nurses and support team uh, that are helping them uh, with their their loved one. In addition, I mentioned it before: the communication that has to be so truthful with one another and dynamic at the same time. Uh, I'll give you a a beautiful example, again, of my cousin that had leukemia. And his main problem that his platelet counts were profoundly low. Well, one of the things that he loved to do in the summertime for a number of weeks was to go to Maine, the state of Maine. And uh, they had done that for decades. And, And, of course, with this issue going on with his health, he couldn't. And his wife said, you know, this sounds a little absurd. You need the platelets almost every week. How are we going to do this? Uh, And they bandied about and and discussed it and debated it for a while. And uh, she was an incredible caregiver and wanted, saw this as a tremendous hope that he really wanted to grab onto. And so they coordinated the care and the platelet uh, giving of those transfusions up in Maine. And and they went. They they had a dear friend that actually uh, went on the plane with them to take them up there, drove them to his cottage where he had it up in uh, Ellsworth, Maine. Uh, And he realized that 
that profound hope that he wanted to be up there, and it was a positive experience for him. That is really cool. So there are ways to um, to manage and to be flexible. Um, would you advocate that this question came up in my mind here? Would you advocate that if your loved one has had an acute and moved to chronic disease, somewhat stable, but still need medical, some you know, pretty regular medical attention, dialysis comes to mind as well, hmm. that people find medical, try to make a medical connection in this other place. Let's say they go up there for someplace for a month during the summertime, east or west or wherever, north or south, that another medical professional just to make sure everybody feels, um, you know, relatively not so apprehensive, sure. that person is there in that area, can be there in case they're needed. Is that something? It is reasonable, as you said, in a, if you will, if you want to call it that, a stable chronic situation, yeah. number one. Uh, number two, uh, that both the caregiver and the patient themselves uh, really have a lot of forethought in anticipation in being in that other venue and that they uh, do establish themselves with the doctor uh, even before they get there, basically, that they're going to be out there a certain time, that they have copies of their comprehensive copy of their records yes. is absolutely a necessity yeah. uh, as well. And if they need further chronic treatment, that that could be arranged, as I mentioned, with my cousin when he was up in Maine. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, and I really I didn't really follow up on it, the communication between the caregiver and the, and the loved one, uh, the patient, if you will, and the importance of an honest and authentic relationship. What, what are some tips? Because we all know as caregivers that that sounds good, but that that relationship can deteriorate, especially when you become apprehensive, that, oh, my gosh, my loved one is now getting worse, okay? Um, or if they're getting better, oh, how far can I let them go without my intervening? What are some things that can be said to one another, caregivers in particular? Hmm. Well, I think the caregiver really needs to delve into their, their loved one in respect to how serious is this? Are we nearing the end where uh, I really just want to give them the best quality of life that I can because mm -hmm. I, I know they're not going to last too long? And, and then we get into the thought and, and the paradigm of what palliative care is all about. Yes. Uh, and there we're talking about for whatever time my loved one has left, be it a day or a week or a month, uh, let me figure out and let me ask them what what is the most important thing they want me to do this day for them? Oh, that's great. So you mentioned quality of life. I have, too, during this whole um, interview. And so I love that. Putting that out there is the outcome that we all want, no matter whether it's a chronic disease, it's an acute disease, or it's more of an end-of-life situation. Always saying, what quality of life do we want? And I love that. But on this day, what can we do that will achieve that objective? This day. Yeah. 
Exactly. So it's not a general thing. It's this day. What yep. can we do? Exactly. That's so important uh, for, for them to have that reality right in front of them at that moment since life is momentary. Yeah, and in fact, for all of us, actually, we really don't know for sure um, when the, when our moment will come. So um, we are, believe it or not, getting close to um, the end of, uh, of our time today, but let's conclude with, um, you know, short-term hope and long-term collaboration between um, uh, caregiver and loved one, and how how do we live day to day with a chronic disease besides thinking of quality of life? Are there other things that can raise that long term hope for both of us? You know, as I hear you say that, Morji, uh, I, I think about we know, especially with the chronic disease, and in fact for all of us, mm-hmm. we're not going to win the war. No, we're all going to die. Right. Right. Uh, in this case, certainly with the chronic disease, it's much more proximitous. And I think what you want to do is win the battles, and those battles could be day-to-day as far as what people would give them the best quality of life. And not just saying that in a very amorphous sense, but physically what that may be as far as getting rid of pain and nausea or whatever yeah, it might be yeah. physically psychosocially as well, delving into that. And if they have a sense of their spirituality or religiosity, to uh, tap into that as well. Yeah, so breaking that quality down into several parts. And actually, the psychosocial parts can help alleviate pain by focusing on that as well as if it's all about the pain, that's not a good sort of... Think of it in broadly all these different facets of my life. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point you raise. There is pain, which yes. is physical, but then there's suffering, which is the attitude towards that pain yes. that you bring up, and how the psychosociology yeah. influences that as well. Yeah, that's really great. Well, I I want to um, let our listeners know that I um, we posted a blog. I believe it was last week, and um, in it, I gave a tip about one way to be be resilient through all of this is to perhaps not load up your schedule so much, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to give yourself time and space, and that time and space goes back to what you were saying, Dr. Guineri, which is attentiveness, taking the time, looking at your loved one, saying we want to achieve what's best for us together in terms of quality of life. Sometimes life gets a little hectic, and we aren't able to do that if we have too full a schedule. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, I think that's the malady of our society. It is. It is. And I guess that also uh, includes to put the cell phone down and uh, just just Mm -hmm. be with the other person. Mm -hmm. So... All right, well, we have like two minutes. Is there anything that we haven't discussed or that I haven't asked that you would like to say before we conclude? I would just like to uh, sum up uh, a thought that I think is really important about our discussion, and that is that relationship with the caregiver and their loved one 
is that this is a dynamic, fluid situation that requires real honest communication and real caring and love with the challenges of this situation. Absolutely. Well, thank you, as always, for being on the program. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you again uh, later in the year. And I want to remind our audience that there will be an archive of this show. It will probably pop up on mycaregivingcoach.com and ecarediary.com in another couple of days. Um, and I did post a blog on both websites uh, last week related to this, about keeping caregiver resilience going. So please have a look at that. As always, we thank eCare Diary for sponsoring this show. I thank Dr. Guineri, and certainly we thank all of our wonderful listeners. Happy New Year. Be well and take care. Bye-bye.